0: We are starting the season of Lent and um, I want to start this morning by making a really big confession about something I did this week. Y'all are looking all way too eager. (laughs) I just wonder for a moment if you're as uh, eager if we talk about your sin as we are about what I, about (laughs) setting it up that way. I'm not, I'm really not going there, but today we are going to talk about sin we are, that's what we're going to talk about today. And it's, a, it's the first um, Sunday of Lent. And as I said before, one of the big flavors of this season is about um, a season to step away and court, sort of take a, a sustained look and reflection and self-examination about how we're living and trying to maybe identify some places where we've gotten some things wrong that we've just sort of glossed by, haven't paid attention to or haven't seen. And the thing about it is we're not doing this as a way to try to beat us down and make us feel guilty and shamed or anything else. You know, it's a, um, there's a comic strip I've seen that was uh, in a, it, went, it went in the newspaper because I'm going to have to edit some of the language, but it was this um, comic strip that shows these two guys at the door, like we've all had, who are standing at the door. Maybe one's got a briefcase and one has a, clearly a Bible in their hand. And the guy opens the door and he's in his pajamas. And the, the guys on the other side of the door said, we're here to quote a bunch of scripture and make you feel really terrible and like a piece of manure. Um, we're not here for that today. We're, we're talking about sin, but it's not to make us feel bad or guilty or anything else. It's ultimately about wanting to help us grow in our spiritual journey. And Lent has traditionally been part of that. It's been, you know, the, I think the language that's been historically there is to talking about it being a season, that part of which is repentance and mortification of the soul, these, these ideas. But it's really meant to be something to help us in our spiritual journeys and not something to just make us have more baggage or more stuff on us. And we think about this. So the, the author, Scott Peck, um, last century said that he thought the greatest development of the 20th century was what took place in 1935 in Ohio, the start of Alcoholics Anonymous, And since that time, millions and millions and millions of people have been through that. And um, some of you in the room will know and some of you won't, but the very first step of the famous 12 steps says that we admit that we're powerless over alcohol and that our lives have become unmanageable. And even though it started, um, that whole deal started in a Christian context, um, there have been a whole bunch of churches in recent times today that have taken it and said, we're gonna make it even more Christ-centered. And they're um, calling it Celebrate Recovery. And so you'll see signs around town for that. And the way they've modified that first step is to say this. I I realize I am not God. I admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing. And that my life is unmanageable. That's how they've modified it. But there are many people who will say that this first step and all those 12 steps is the most important because it's the step that takes people across the threshold. It's the step that says, I'm going to own this thing. I'm going to deal with this thing. And, and I'm, I can't do it, actually. I'm going to have to surrender it kind of a thing. So it's this moment that way. And I want to suggest to you that there is a spiritual analog for us with sin. That this idea of, of not just putting it to the side and being in denial or saying it's not there, or that it doesn't matter, or that there aren't consequences, but actually coming up and saying that sin's a real thing and it has consequences and it means something, and struggling with whatever that is and just dealing with that. And that, that is part of what Lent is calling us to. And I don't think this is something new. Like, so most of us, we don't want, we, you know, we're, we're in church today on Sunday and lots of our friends aren't and all this stuff, and we start to think, well, we're, I'm, I'm okay, I'm pretty good. And we don't want to go there, right? And the, but this is not a new thing. This is not a new thing. I mean, the writer in, of John in 1 John is talking about sin. And he says this in, in 1 John 1, eight. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. This idea that if we say we're sinless or we don't have sin or whatever, we're just out to lunch on this. And Paul, when he's first writing this letter to the Romans, he hadn't been there yet. So he's writing to people he's not even met, most likely. And he's telling them up front, hey, we're all sinners. Everybody's sinned. We're all sinners. We all get stuff, stuff wrong. And that's just part of what it, what it means to live, right? And I feel it necessary to say, notwithstanding the joke I started with, that I'm a sinner. Like, I want to say up front, I'm a big sinner. Like, I get lots of things wrong. But I, I don't think, you know, and the church has been funny about this. Because a lot of times with pastors, if they, if they get caught, certainly in a big sin, they're thrown out. But, but it's crazy because very few pastors want to st- stand up and say, I'm a sinner. I want to stand up at least, at least once a year and say, I'm a big sinner. And it's not that I don't love God. Because to me, it's a lot like it is with my children, right? I tell my children that, I tell them up front, my goal in life is to raise you to be men of, men of character. That's, that's what I'm about. But I have some times where I've had to come to them and say and apologize to them. Because I've done something that hasn't modeled that. Like, I've done something where I've had to say, I'm all about teaching you to be men of character, but what I did was not. That wasn't right. You know, I apologize for what I've done. It wasn't that I didn't love them. It wasn't that I wasn't trying to do the right thing. It's just I got some stuff wrong. And I think that's kind of the way, the, kind of the way it goes. And for those of you who are taking notes on the sermon and you've already written the big words scandal with Father Bob this way, <laughs> you know, St. Paul, who wrote three-fourths of the New Testament at one place, says, I'm the chief of sinners. He tells all the people he's writing to, I'm chief, the chief sinner. Like so, and they didn't throw him out, but, he, but I'm the chief sinner because he wanted everybody to know that. This is part of, part of what we go through, right? Unless you sit there all smug saying, well, I'm up on Father Bob today. I think all of us, all of us are sinners. I mean, scripture says that, but we all are. And I saw a study they came out in 2017. I'm pretty sure it was done by Columbia University with what I'll tell you in a minute. But it was fascinating because they were, they were focusing on people's um, deep secrets that they're ashamed about, right? And what they said, and I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I can't quote to you right, right now what the, how, how big the pool was, but what they said was within this pool, the average person had 13 um, really deep secrets as they regarded it, five of which... They said they have never told anyone else whatsoever what these um, secrets were. And what was interesting to me was they went on from there to um, talk about what, the, what that means. And the people who admitted that they had these kind of secrets, they did these experiments where they asked them to reflect on that, and then they had them go do some other stuff. And they found that when people were thinking about their secrets, that, that they literally had a physical sense of weight being on them. And the way they did this in this experiment was they had um, different control groups and th- this, the group that has been reminded about their secrets to come look at some um, hill that was angled and asking them how steep it was. And all the people carrying the secrets generally said it was much steeper because they were carrying extra stuff. It's kind of what they were saying. So we had, we, I think we carry these burdens. And, and so part of Lent, when I talk about it being something to grow, It's not just about, like I said, not making us feel bad, but it's about trying to get this stuff off our back so that we can experience more of the freedom, more of the love, more of the relationship that God has for us. And uh, one final thing on this study that I thought was interesting um, is that they, in the course of doing these interviews or their survey work and all this, they listed out what some of the main secrets were. This is what the, the list said, that for many people it was certain lies they had told. For some people, it was harming someone. Others, it was, they'd done the secret drug use or theft or violating trusts, or sexual infidelity. Or the one that I've been thinking about all week, secret hobbies. Like, what, what is that? What is that? I've been thinking, I have no clue what that is. And it's better if I don't dwell on it too long. But it's, if you've got a secret hobby, I'm gonna leave that with you. I have no clue what that is. But all of us, have sinned. And I think, so when we think about this for a minute, we're, we're in good company. Everybody in this room has sinned. We're all sinners. We're all in good company. But I think the temptation and risk is that we become callous to it, or we somehow think, yeah, I'm in the boat with everybody, and we don't make anything of it. But part of the season of Lent is saying, don't have that calloused attitude. We want to come back and, and say, and look at, the, at our sin straight up and say, it matters and it has consequences. And this is not the sermon today, but every time we look at the cross, we have to be aware that it's our sinfulness that has Jesus on the cross. And I'm not going into all the different theories of atonement and all the different um, theories about why Jesus is on the cross, but we're clear in saying that Jesus is on the cross because of our sin. There are consequences to our sin. And there are consequences to our sin in our relationship with God in general. And so the more we can sort of... um, continue to come down this path of less and less sin, the better we're going to be. We're never going to be free of sin, but we want to stay on a journey, ebbs and flows, of making progress on this, right? And part of this is owning it, right? So I mean, like the, 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 I, I wanted to make the title today, Sin, but I didn't think you'd come. So I, we, we made it owning it and growing, which is really where we're going. But, but this first step is owning it, right? That we, that we are sinners this way. And I think Jesus is really clear on that. Because, you know, there's a passage in Scripture where Jesus says, you know, he, he sort of has this image that he's a physician and he's come for those who are sick. And if you're not sick, you're not in that line. And I think there's a real sense in what Jesus is also saying, you know, faith only speaks to you when, when you're ready to, to go to that place. And, and the Beatitudes in, in Matthew 5, when it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, I think what the blessed are the poor in spirit are the people who know they're poor in their spirit. The people who know they're needy. The people who know they're broken, the people who know they're sinful and in need of this. And then I think faith begins to speak. But before then, I think if you don't think you need a physician, if you don't think you've got anything wrong, I don't know that it has anything to say. So I think that's part of this is is always coming back and holding on to this and that's part of the season of Lent for us and which I think there are more consequences, but we begin to see these as we reflect on sin. And so part of this, again, this season of Lent is about reflecting on our brokenness and sin. And so where I wanna turn now is um, I wanna give you a number of different definitions of sin in order to help you reflect during this season about your own life. And I'm gonna say a whole bunch more on this, but I'm gonna start with just a few of them. The first one is, Drawing upon St. Augustine and on St. Thomas Aquinas, this group of theologians, have um, they've defined sin this way. Um, they've said that sin is a failure of genuine love for God and neighbor caused by a perverse attachment to certain goods. It wounds the nature of man and injures human solidarity. That one's a, maybe a little bit heady, but... This idea, it's a failure of genuine love for God and neighbor caused by a perverse attachment to certain goods. It wounds the nature of man and injures human solidarity. I'm going to give you a couple more uh, of these to think about. The one I always fall back to, so if you've been with me for a while, I know you've heard me say this before. But the very, And I don't know if it's a law of primacy for the educators in the room, the first thing you learn. But when I first had moral theology as a freshman in high school, Sister Digna taught us that sin was anything that alienates us from God, from our fellow humans, or from our true selves. And I, that's my fallback. I always go back to that one. I love that. And she, I heard from her yesterday um, on something, so it was great. I didn't tell her I was going to have her in the sermon today because I didn't want her scrutinizing everything about the sermon today. <laughs> if She turned in a line. But, but so, sort of go back to another face for a minute. And there's going to be a couple definitions that are going to build on this. But the Danish philosopher who was a Christian who talks about the, the jumping the, the gap of faith and all this? Soren Kierkegaard he defines sin this way. He says sin is in despair, not wanting to be oneself before God. Let me read it one more time. That sin is in despair, not wanting to be oneself before God. That it, it's hiding. It goes back to this Genesis thing. It's an immediate. Part of it is an immediate, it's tied up with whatever you're doing, but it's not wanting to be your real self in front of God. And uh, there are a couple of people that build on this. Like they're going to take this definition and kind of run with it a little bit. C.S. Lewis, um, Anglican bishop and scholar N.T. Wright, and the famous pastor in New York City, Tim Keller, all kind of build on this definition and do some things with it and talk about where it goes. Because at the, in the essence, part of what's behind that is it's saying, there's a disordering of things because we're hiding and getting things out of position. So N.T. Wright, um, as I said, the Anglican bishop and Oxford scholar says, he says this, he says, we're called to responsibility and authority within creation. The humans have turned their vocation upside down, giving worship and allegiance to forces and powers within creation itself. The name for this is idolatry. It's the idea that we're putting, we're meant to be the image bearers of God in, in our lives and we're meant to give Him the ultimate position of worship and allegiance and we end up putting it something else there, whether it's money or power or all the other stuff, but we're getting things out of order. And you can hear it again in the way that Tim Keller defines it. He says, the essence of sin is a wrecked relationship with God, one another, and human creation. Direct relationship. Things are messed up, out of place on all these different things. And I think it leads us to a fake identity. Like we're trying to be somebody we're, we're not meant to be. I think it leads us to pursuing things that, that aren't to be, supposed to be what we're about. And it just puts us in the wrong place. And in all of this, there is a sense of priority, right? And there's this one passage, I'm not gonna read it, but Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and scribes and he's telling them, you know, you get into all these little things. You're telling people about the mint and their tithing of the mint and all these different spices and things, but you're, not, you're missing out on the big pieces of the law. And, and you are like, he makes this analogy, this is what Jesus says. It's like you're scooping out a little gnat out of your drink, but you're drinking a camel. Like we're getting everything mixed up that way. We're missing out on the big things. And the big thing is ultimately to keep God at the center and then go from that place. That's the reason why St. Augustine in the day, my favorite way to think about sin or or the things we're supposed to do is the St. Augustine line where he says, love God all the way and then do whatever you want. Because he knows at the end of the day, if you love someone, you're going to try to please them. If you're trying to please them, you're going to figure out what they want. And it leads you you down a, a healthy path that way. So I think there are lots of big issues to look at. But I think one of the interesting things is we reflect on sin during this season is to stop for a minute and then think, I want to think about three different sort of categories of sin for a minute. The first one, I think, is the one we all think about most often. It's the things we've done. It's, we think about the moral code. Or we think about the things we're not supposed to do. And I don't, want, I don't want to spend a lot of time there. If you want to go read some of the things on Scripture, go look at Galatians 5 and the, the, um, the sins of the flesh that are in Galatians 5 and all that kind of stuff. We've got all that stuff. And when we do our confession in a few minutes, when Eric leads us in that, we're going to talk about the things done. So that's the things done, right? And the next thing are the things that we haven't done. St. James in the book of James talks about if you know there's something God's calling you to, you've got this good thing God's calling you to and you don't do it. For you, it's a sin. That's, that's what James says. So it's not just what, it's not just what we do but there's a sense in which we say God calls us to certain things. And part of living out the Christian life and the way we're supposed to be is to lean into those things. And if we just turn and walk away from that, there's an element of sin in that, right? So, and James tells us that. But the, the third thing, I think, is the one that's more subtle and, and maybe more risky to talk about. But it's this idea that you can be doing something good. You can be doing something good that's, that everybody's going to say is innocent and good. And that's how you look at it. But it may not be the right thing. And so allow me to explain this for a minute, right? This is going to go back to, I'm going to to talk for a minute particularly about C.S. Lewis because C.S. Lewis makes this analogy where he talks about what our natural selves are and and how we very frequently will do something where we say, well, God, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to to go to church on Sunday. I'm going to do some good stuff, but then I want want everything else for myself. And he makes the analogy that it's like like a good person who pays their taxes. They're like, "I'm I'm going to pay the taxes I'm supposed to do but then I want the rest of this to do whatever I want with, and I, and I hope it's enough, that we, we sort of treat God that way. I'm gonna give you the stuff I think you're due, but then I want all this for myself. And C.S. Lewis is saying that's not it. That Actually, if you go read all the passages in the New Testament of Jesus calling people, he wants everything because he wants to give you a new self, a new creation, a new being, a new everything. This is the way he says it in part in one of his essays. He says, Christ says I've come not To torture your natural self, I will give you a new self instead. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires, not just the ones you think wicked, but the ones you think innocent, the whole outfit, and I'll give you a new self instead. So, the road to growth, to spiritual growth, sometimes involves us reflecting on all these things and thinking about the order of them. And do we have Christ at the center about what we're doing? And I want to suggest one more thing in this. That I mean, all of this leads us is about leading us to growth. But I want to say one more thing is that it, it, it's a difficult task. And I know it's an analogy and a hyperbole and all this other stuff. But I want to go back to that passage that Jesus says. Many of you in the room are familiar with it. Where Jesus is talking about looking at the sin of other people. And he's saying, you know, don't look at somebody and say, you got a speck in your eye when you got this big old log hanging out of your eye. But if you ever stop to think about that person, like that person didn't know they had a log hanging out of their eye. And I think it's that way with us too, right? I think we have a lot of sin that may be ginormous, like a log hanging out of our eye, and we don't even see it. We're not even, like it's not even irritating us, you know, and this thing's hanging out of our, out of our heads right now. And I think that's part of the task. We get so wrapped up in our sin, we don't even see stuff. Part of the season of Lent is trying to go deeper and, and not just doing the stuff we do each week, but, a, but asking us to examine and think about the ways that we are, have taken in things that are not what God wants in our lives, where we've gotten things misordered, out of whack, maybe things where we're participating in sins and in, in ways we don't think about. Sort of this goes into institutional sins and like whether we're going along with the flow on some stuff where everybody's doing it, but it's not right. All these different levels of sin to reflect on and just ask the deeper questions about where we're, where we're getting into sin and in all this, right? That's a big flavor of what Lent calls us to. And I, I'm going to end this thing, but the, the, um, Lent draws us to that place. And there's a whole other sermon right here about what we do with it. But I feel wrong if I don't just leave with something on that. So I'm, I'm going to just throw out three things without developing them. But, but I think all these, when we reflect on our sin, I think it brings us back to three things in particular. That we need a Savior, There there are consequences to our sin and we need a Savior. I think in the end, it calls us back to trust, not only trust in God, but His mercy, grace, and love. And that ultimately, it calls us back, the season of Lent is calling us back to put Christ at the center of who we are and what we're about. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you love us. You love us in spite of our brokenness, our sinfulness. You love us in spite of our 15 deep secrets and our five totally secret ones. The things you know that no one else knows and you love us anyway. Lord, during this season of Lent, by your spirit, help us to cooperate with you to see the things that are weighing us down from having a healthier place with you and help us in it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.